0: Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates Art of Living Interview Series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and as part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living Interview Series, we have an amazing interview with Smithsonian Associate Dr. Neil Theis. Dr. Neil Thies is author of the excellent new book, Notes on Complexity, Connection, Consciousness, and Being. Dr. Neil Thies will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so please check out our website, for more details about Smithsonian Associate, Dr. Neil Theis. And the title of Dr. Theis's presentation at Smithsonian Associates is tied to his book, Notes on Complexity, Connection, Consciousness, and Being. Thank you so much for listening today. We have got a great guest today whom I will introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes last week, was our 711th episode when I spoke to actor and star of the hit TV show, Barry Henry Winkler. Two weeks ago, Smithsonian associate, Chris Thorogood, was on our show. I spoke to him about his excellent new book, Chasing Plants, Journeys with a Botanist Through Rainforest, Swamps, and Mountains. Excellent subjects for our Not Old Better show audience if you missed those shows. Along with any others, you can go back and check them out along with my entire catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. You can Google Not Old Better and get everything you need about us. Our guest today, Smithsonian Associate Dr. Neil Thies, says that nothing in the universe is more complex than life. Dr. Thies will tell us today that throughout the skies... In oceans and across lands, life is endlessly on the move. In its myriad forms, from cells to human beings, social structures and ecosystems, life is open-ended, evolving and unpredictable, yet adaptive and self-sustaining. Fascinating subjects today. Complexity theory, from Dr. Thies's excellent new book, Notes on Complexity, Connection, Consciousness, and Being, addresses the mysteries of That animates science, philosophy, and metaphysics. How this teeming array of existence from the infinitesimal to the infinite is a seamless living whole, and what our place as conscious beings is within it. Physician, scientist, and philosopher, Smithsonian Associate Dr. Neil Thies tells us today about this theory of being, one of the pillars of modern science, and its holistic view of human existence. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better show, Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series on radio and podcast, Smithsonian Associate, Dr. Neil Theis. Dr. Neil Theis, welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. Delight to be here. Yeah, it's so nice to talk to you too. Um, hope your day is going well. I'm looking forward to to really talking an awful lot about your new book, Notes on Complexity. I think this is going to be just a fascinating subject for our audience. It's a deep one, and so why don't we why don't we uh, start kind of as I like to say at the start and maybe tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Uh, this will be via Zoom. We'll have links so that our audience can find out more information about the presentation. It's coming up May 15th. But maybe tell us, Dr. Thies, a little bit Mm -hmm. about what you're going to tell us there and how you'll use Zoom to engage our audience. Sure. Um,
1: It's a real nostalgic pleasure for me to have this talk to look forward to, because the book really is a book version of this talk I've been giving and developing over the last 20 years, essentially. And the last time I had the opportunity to give the talk was online at the beginning of COVID. And since then, I've been focused on the writing of the book, which is a very different way of expressing the same material. And so I've had to get my head out of the talk and into the text. And this is a chance for me to to go back and revisit. The talk is really a simple explanation of what complexi- complexity theory is about. Um, it's uh, I would consider it, if, if quantum physics and relativity are twin pillars of science from the 20th century, upon which everything we're doing is standing, I think there's a third pillar, and and that's complexity theory. It's not as well known. There haven't been thousands of books written about it i'm hoping my book can help bring it to the popular imagination in a way that hasn't yet happened but um what it does is gives the underlying principles for how life happens you know we think of biology as the science of living things and of course it is in many ways but it's the reductionist science we take things apart if we want to see how an ecosystem works we look at the individual components of the ecosystem if we want to know how a body works we dissect it and look at the tissues the organs if we want to know how they work we disaggregate them into their component cells and grow those in culture that's what we call cell biology and if we want to know how those work we pull them apart to get at the molecules the molecular biology that underpins them and so We're really good. And obviously, this has been uh, technologically astounding what we've accomplished with such Mm -hmm. biology. Mm -hmm. But we don't really know much about the principles. Well, we do know a lot about the principles about how those parts assemble themselves into the holes, how molecules become cells, cells become bodies, bodies become communities, whether that's an ant colony, a city neighborhood, an ecosystem but it's complexity theory that tells us about this and as i said it's unfortunately not really entered the popular imagination in a way i think it deserves um so the talk will sort of is a gentle introduction to all of these things with a lot of examples i use powerpoint um i use a lot of animated images and um there's text on the slides so that People can follow carefully what I'm doing, and this is a practiced approach I've taken, like I said, for a couple of decades mm-hmm. and i people like it you know this is the reason I wrote the book is because I've always had such strong reactions from the audiences. Um, uh, when I give the talk, uh, a difficult thing for me will be not to see my audience
2: mm-hmm. for
1: this mm-hmm. um, because when I do give the talk, normally. When I teach a medical school class, for example, I'm a physician, I teach at NYU Grossman School of Medicine, Um, or I'm giving a scientific talk, the whole audience is going with me step by step on the road to the end. And we all know where we're going, and we all arrive there at the same time. This talk is kind of different. Um, When I look out at the audience, I can see light bulbs going off over people's heads um, all through the talk in completely different places. And when people ask questions at the end, it's rare that they don't ask me, that someone doesn't ask me something I'd never thought of before. Hmm. So the material's really rich and I think really strikes people's imagination.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've enjoyed the book, of course. I've enjoyed thinking about this. I've enjoyed preparing for our conversation. It It is, complex. Of course, the title is notes on complexity. (laughs) Absolutely. And the implications Uh uh, are profound. And and you mentioned just a moment ago that this is something that you have considered and thought through for decades and decades. And so sometimes things just need our entire lives to open up to us and for us to understand them better and to be able, I think, to explain them better to others. Would you agree? Uh
1: Oh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And um, it's been uh, it's in writing the book that it's become really clear to me that I've been working on this my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things in the book that I learned off my local public library shelves, library shelves when I was 14 years old. Mm. Actually, in the book, I make reference to the first appearance in print of something called the game of life, which was a mathematical game. It was like an early computer game. And I think that was 1970 or 72. I can't recall, but I was either 11 or 12 years old when I saw that in Scientific American (laughs) in the library. Mm -hmm. And uh, in college, so I had many interests. And, uh, you know, through high school, I... Was self taught in quantum physics, relativity. I know that sounds strange to say, but um, public libraries. Um, I actually managed to get myself to the Weizmann Institute in Israel for a summer junior year to study particle physics. Then I went off to college, and by then I had shifted focus because that's what I did. I would learn as much as I could about something until something else caught my attention. And in college, I was thinking about going to rabbinical school, so I did formal study in uh, rabbinics and, and Jewish studies. But I was also interested in computers, and back then it was punch cards and COBOL and Fortran, which was just <laughs> really exciting. You remember that? I wonder <laughs> I how many do. people. Well, I most do. of your audience may remember.
0: Definitely, <laughs> will remember COBOL um, and yeah. punch cards. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and um, and that's where I got my first introduction to systems thinking, and complexity theory is all about systems. And, but complexity had, was only just yeah. starting to appear conceptually during that time. Um, chaos theory was already up and running, um, and chaos theory would lead to complexity theory um, in the mid-70s. So, uh, But then I went to medical school <laughs> um, on a separate track. That's a long story. And so now I was suddenly setting all that stuff aside to really focus on how human bodies were put together and how they function in health and disease. I eventually went into pathology. um, So that's the study of human disease. And my clinical practice is focused on looking at uh, slides of human tissue that are taken out like biopsies or operations. And I focus on the liver. And that got me into stem cell biology, (laughs) and that got me into complexity theory of all things. And when I started investigating complexity and how it showed how things at one level of scale organize themselves into structures at higher levels of scale, I started to find that as I really dug into this, all the things that I had learned over the years we're falling into place as part of this larger structure of knowledge, this larger
0: conceptual structure. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, And everything Smithsonian, as part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with Dr. Neil Theis. Dr. Neil Theis is Smithsonian Associate, a physician, scientist, and philosopher, and is author of the new book, Notes on Complexity. Dr. Theis will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates. Coming up, we will have links so that our audience can find out more information about Dr. Theis' presentation May 15th, as well as Dr. Theis' new book, Notes on Complexity. Dr. These just a couple more questions. I, I know you're very busy. Maybe, maybe just tell us briefly where where did this theory of complexity come from originally? What and maybe just give us maybe just a sure. couple of those basic principles. Sure. This actually
1: won't be in the talk, so okay. <laughs> your <laughs> listeners will get a little extra tidbit, <laughs> okay. um, uh, extra credit, but there's no quiz. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, people are generally familiar that there's something called chaos theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that has some relationship to the geometries called fractals, that people are familiar with these images, uh, in part because there was a book that um, hit the big time called Chaos by James Gleick uh, 20 years ago, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and so there were people as i said when i was in college i was studying a little bit of systems theory and systems theory is about how parts interact to put together a whole and as you said some systems the 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 whole is greater than the sum of the parts in some things the whole is precisely the sum of the parts so a clock is precisely the sum of its parts you know exactly what you're going to get Um, And there are no surprises. You could examine the parts carefully of a clock you didn't know. And if you looked at them carefully, you could figure out exactly what's going to happen, that it will tell time, et cetera. Chaos was the first time where systems were discovered that were greater than the sum of their parts. And part of why they could be discovered um, is because now we had computers. And most physical systems, we can um, define by geometry or simple equations. Um, but for uh, understanding, for generating fractal geometries, you needed a computer program that was going to run open-endedly and produce these things over time. They weren't equations that you could simply plug the number in and get a result. It was something that had to run as a model over time, and that required computers. And so when they started, uh, Benoit Mandelbrot first discovered fractals. And this turned out to be the mathematical geometry that underpinned chaotic systems. So chaotic systems are things like whirlpools, Mm -hmm. weather. If we can predict weather, it's because we have very sophisticated chaos theory. Um, And you see fractals in the natural world. You see how branches of trees um look like branches of blood vessels in the body which look like branching rivers um you look at cla- and and everything is self similar across scales they say so however close in you go you see the same pattern even though you're looking at smaller scales it keeps repeating itself in the pure mathematics of the mandelbrot fractal set it's infinite mm-hmm. a tree obviously it ends at a point because then you get leaves Though if you look at a leaf, its veins are often fractal too. So that comes to an end. You look at the puffiness of a, of a cloud when you're in an airplane, and all the puffs look the same. The airplane dives into the cloud, and you're seeing the same puffs, but now you're close in. So it's the same across scales. So that was chaos theory. This game came about called The Game of Life, which was a simple computer game. Um, with profound implications. Um, And uh, it ran on a simple computer, and basically you had a grid of squares, and whether a grid was alive, whether a square in the grid was alive um, or dead from one step of the game to the next depended on how many numbers, how many of its neighbors were alive or dead. So you can think of it as some some... squares would die of loneliness. If there were too few squares that were alive next door, the cell would not survive to the next step of the game. Mm. On the other hand, if there were sufficient numbers of cells, then they weren't lonely and they had a rich life, you could sort of um, anthropomorphize and they would survive to the next step. It turned out that when you ran this open-ended program, that you got patterns that were mathematically reminiscent of fractal chaos. You also got patterns that would extend over time that would be like rigid order. It would always be the same thing. So you might have a pattern that would blink on and off, or you might have a pattern that just was completely stable in time. And so you had these two different patterns. One was open-ended and evolving, and that was chaotic, and the others were not. Uh, this isn't for everybody, (laughs) you know, um, uh, in Buddhism, we talk about skillful means. There are approaches that are right for one person that are, will not be right for another and vice versa. And can you find the means that help to teach the point in the way that person can hear it? I think that no one has really taught this stuff in, presented this stuff in this way that I'm doing in, in notes on complexity, and there are people for whom this will be useful. There are many people for whom it may not be useful. But when I give this talk, whoever is in the audience finds something in it that's useful for them, even if it's not the spiritual side or the science side. You know, it may be both. It may be either. But everyone finds something. In it.
0: I think as I was reading it, I I really – not that I've grasped everything. It it It, it is very, very um... – it's very deep it, it 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 reminded me though of a phrase and maybe maybe you've even thought of it this way that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts i that simple yeah it yeah, it, it that that all of these the, the universe is dynamic it's cohesive it's alive but that all of this works together you know your leg you know taking that step connected to Uh, you know, impulses that that do come from your brain, all of that is part of this Uh science. But Uh it's all very wrapped up in this idea that that the science works in tandem with our uh, deep held convictions and Zen practice can help with that. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's not Zen specific. I think any contemplative mm-hmm, practice mm-hmm. can do that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, yeah. And it's not contemplative practice alone. Some people will get to this. It, what complexity points to is that this hallmark idea that everything is one, you can express that as just a cliche, right? But complexity says that, in fact, that's true. And complexity says that at exactly the same time, absolutely, equally, everything is separate. Like we experience it in our average everyday life. Both things are true. Uh, In the book, I use the word complementarity
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, for this. And I'll cover this a little bit uh, significantly (laughs) in the talk. Um, A classic image that I put in the book are two faces looking at each other in profile. And you see two profiles but the space between the faces looks like a vase, which is it? Is it two faces or is it the vase? Mm -hmm. It's obviously both, but you can only see one or the other at the same time. Um, People have challenged me whether it's possible um, to actually see them both at the same time, even if so, it's not easy. Um, And so the world is a seamless whole complexity theory tells us that starting when you go all the way down to the quantum level, um, to space time or even what lies behind space time, which what I would say is consciousness. And that's a big part of where the book winds up, uh, which I'll touch on in the talk. I'll point to it. Um, but at the same time I'm me and you're you and we're separate beings. And that is also true. Uh, another example, I'll use in the talk, so a little preview, um, there isn't an atom that uh, in your body that you didn't breathe, eat, or drink from the planet. Now, are we little separate individuals walking around on top of this rock that we call planet Earth? Or are we the atoms of the planet that have self-organized themselves over the course of three and a half billion years into living things that can talk to each other, but have this delusion of being separate. And I would say that neither is the whole story. They're complementary, the way the two faces and the vase are complementary. Both are true equally. You need both views, but you have to select one at any one time in how to relate to things. I think that people who sit on a cushion can dive down into their minds and experience that unity i got a little taste of it that morning of the zendo with the incense stick because i did not feel separate from it Mm -hmm. but um there are people who accomplish that through devotional practice in their religion there are people who accomplish it through service to others Mm -hmm. um so to some extent what i advocate at the end of the book is find something you might not even want it to be in spiritual terms service to others doesn't require quote unquote spiritual practice um mm-hmm. uh, my husband is a an example of that he'll tell people you know he lives with me so there's this, all this zen jewish stuff going on <laughs> um and he'll go well I, I, the spiritual stuff isn't isn't my thing mm-hmm. but if you watch him prepare a meal for people this is clearly spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. It's service. Mm -hmm. Um, But in his mind, no, 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 no. This is something different. But I'll tell you, it's not. (laughs) I know it when I see it. So we just agreed to disagree on this.
0: We are with Dr. Neil Theis. Dr. Neil Theis is Smithsonian Associate, a physician, scientist, and philosopher, and is author of the new book, Notes on Complexity. Dr. Theis will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates. Coming up, we will have links so that our audience can find out more information about Dr. Theis' presentation May 15th, as well as Dr. Theis' new book, Notes on Complexity. Dr. These, just a couple more questions. I, I know you're very busy. Maybe, maybe just tell us briefly where where did this theory of complexity come from originally? What and maybe just give us maybe just a sure. couple of those basic principles again. Sure. This
1: actually won't be in the talk, so okay. your <laughs> listeners will get a little extra tidbit, <laughs> okay. um, uh, extra credit, but there's no quiz. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, people are generally familiar. That there's something called chaos theory mm-hmm. um, and that that has some relationship to the geometries called fractals that people are familiar with these images uh in part because there was a book that um hit the big time called chaos by james Gleick, uh 20 years ago 20 or 30 years ago um and so There were people, as I said, when I was in college, I was studying a little bit of systems theory and systems theory is about how parts interact to put together a whole. And as you said, some systems, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. In some things, the whole is precisely the sum of the parts. Hmm. So a clock is precisely the sum of its parts. You know exactly what you're going to get. Um, And there are no surprises. You could examine the parts carefully of a clock you didn't know. And if you looked at them carefully, you could figure out exactly what's going to happen, that it will tell time, et cetera.
0: Mm -hmm. I just think in this day and age, you know, we need things like this. We, we, you know, you you talked about it, you know, restoring wonder. In that sense, complexity can be life transforming. And I and I, I wonder if you you would agree with that statement too.
1: It's transformed my life <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. unequivocally, and not just in academic terms. You know, I've mm-hmm. published a lot of papers um, and been able to apply this in all sorts of areas. But um, yeah, it's, it's I no longer think that my intuitions are maybe suspect. Um, I have a conceptual basis in which to test them when I think about how the world works um, or how I experience the world working through, for example, my meditative practice. Um, and, and that's taken me places and led to relationships um, that really surprised me and astound me. <laughs> Look, it's, it's led to me writing this book. Um, It's led to me giving these talks. Mm -hmm. One of the most moving uh, experiences I've had with all of this came a few years into practicing it, and I very quickly found that it didn't matter who the audience was. Um, I could give the same talk at a Zen center Um, or to a group of scientists, and they all responded the same way.
0: It's wonderful stuff. I really want to encourage our audience to check Dr. Thies' presentation out at Smithsonian Associates. Check out the book, Notes on Complexity. The book is getting rave reviews online. I found that Dr. Ian Baker, author of The Heart of the World, said this timely book invites us on a transformative journey into what is normally hidden from view, the complex, complementary interactions that illuminate our existence as conscious and creative beings, inseparable from the totality of life. Dr. Nealtese, I think that was just a lovely compliment and uh, review, and I'm looking forward to your presentation coming up on the 15th. Again, We will have links so that our audience can find out more about Dr. Thies' presentation and his book, Notes on Complexity. Thanks so much for your generous time today. This is going to be a fascinating subject and a wonderful presentation. So thank you, Dr. Thies.
1: Thank you very much. And thanks to your audience for
0: listening. My thanks to Smithsonian Associate Dr. Neil Thies for his time today. Please. Check out the website for more details about Smithsonian Associate Dr. Neil Thies and his upcoming presentation. The title of his Smithsonian Associate's presentation is Notes on Complexity, Connection, Consciousness, and Being. Please check out Dr. Thies's new book, Titled after his presentation, Notes on Complexity, Connection, Consciousness, and Being. My thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience on radio and podcasts. Please be well, be safe, and let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Remember, just Google Not Old Better for everything you need to know about us. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next week.